Pro Wrestling Viewpoint with Mike Shea. Mike, unfortunately this week we had the sad news of Jerry Jarrett passing away. Uh, why don't you give me some of your uh, insight into Mr. Jarrett? I, I love the stuff that I, I've i seen or uh, the podcasts and things that he's done with. Um, he did one with Hannibal and done with KFA uh, commentaries. Uh, the guy was very smart when it came to wrestling-wise or when it came to um, business in general because after wrestling he went into construction and things along those lines. Smart, smart guy. I would advise anybody. It's things like three hours to Hannibal uh, interview or podcast, whatever it was with him. I would suggest anybody to uh, sit down and listen to it. I mean, he was one of the last promoters uh, that was independent independent that came out after the national expansions he was still around and went with uswa and then finally left with the because of all the issues with the mainly kevin von eric <clears throat> went back and did his thing and people go oh well look what happened with tna yeah there's a lot of factors involved in tna jeff Jarrett was involved um with him it was him and his dad but then you know and russo dixie carter and there was different different things but uh i mean jerry Jarrett was a great promoter who started when he was very young started taking pictures and his um, his mom was working for the Memphis office running uh, the box office and she promoted a town as well and then he came in and took over and was uh, or not took over but he, he had towns that he was running and then uh, got kind of screwed out of it by Welsh and um, uh, Goulas who were the promoters in the area he thought he bought a portion of the of the territory, but he bought an option to buy a portion of the territory. So he went on his own. He brought Jerry Lawler with him, and the rest is history. I mean, he was uh, he, and he started that at a young age, and like I said, he was one of the last guys that uh, last territorial promoters. And Vince McMahon brought him in to take over during the steroid trial. If Vince McMahon was going to jail, Jerry Jarrett would have been running the WWF. WWE now, as it was while he was while Vince was in jail. No matter what what Pritchard says, it was going to be Jerry Jarrett. That's interesting. What event or uh, promotion did you like most of Jerry's interactions? Oh, the stuff that I liked the angle he did with Austin Idol and Tommy Rich, with uh, Jerry Lawler and Jerry Lawler bringing in various partners after they the, the intricacy but simplicity of the angles with. Uh, you know, they're bring. It was simple. They're bringing in the the world champion. Jerry wanted to be the guy. So did Austin Idol, and so did Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich was a face at first, and then him and J- him and Jerry started to feud. Then Austin Idol came in. He want. You know, it's very simple. Everybody wants to be the champ. You don't have to overly complicate it. And it went from there. The houses were okay to uh, the cage match with Tommy Rich coming back and causing Jerry Lawler to lose, and him having his head shaved. Paulie dangerously said he was so afraid he climbed. He was wanted trying to climb into the cage because he thought they were going to riot. Wow. So yeah, it was uh, that hell of an angle. As an independent promoter, what are your what are some of the takeaways that you take from uh, listening to Jerry or watching some of his activities? How do you instill that in part of what you do as a promoter? Well, I I'll listen to that podcast or the one 
the ones that he had uh, that I mentioned for uncommon kayfabe commentaries and Hannibal's uh, podcast. And I mean, there's so much to take away from him because, like, he was it was so like the way he did things when it came to you know having advertisers, like how he handled his business, how he booked, uh, you know, when he went in and expanded into Texas, you know, and how to present the business and what to offer, you know, and he talks about trying to come up into Detroit. Uh, it was sorry, it wasn't Detroit. It was uh, Cincinnati area. And he went to a TV station, and the, they couldn't get on. He goes, let me tell you, the TV station manager said, let me tell you why. And he put in a tape of the Sheik, and he was bleeding all over the place. And that, and he goes, and that's why it'll never be on TV here, he said. So, you know, you learn how to keep your product very presentable, but how presenting a bad product will also hurt other the rest of the industry. So every time oh it's just wrestling in my show well no it, you represent the energy uh, the whole industry because it it people don't look at you as a separate ent- entity it's all one you're wwe and everybody else so if you're not wwe and you do this everybody does that if tna had remained a Jarrett production without the other inputs do you think it would have succeeded do you think it would have gotten a better reception than uh, how it ended up in as Impact Wrestling? Mm, I don't, I'm not sure because, uh, I mean, Jerry would have had a lot to offer. Uh, he was letting Jeff run it, but Jeff was being influenced by the Vince Russo's. And, and then Dixie Carter came in, and she didn't know what she was doing. She wanted to keep the selling advertising or expanding with uh, co- selling the content to TV stations and cable outlets and such, sure. But when it came to the other stuff, I mean... No, it should have been, you know, Jeff should have listened to Jerry. Jerry had a lot of experience. Jeff was the modern guy that could modernize what he wanted. And it could I think it could have worked. I mean, you know, you never know. Take away the bad influences, a lot of things would be a lot more successful. I mean, it would have been at least where it is now or better. What would you say um, Jerry's most famous accomplishment is or would be, what he would be remembered for? He went against the NWA because Goulas and Walsh were, Welsh were, they were the NWA promoters. And he was so strong, and he was a young kid. He got his license at an earlier age because uh, it was a hardship license to be able to drive because he was the only, he was the man of the house. At a young age, he went into this business and he, he went and f- basically fought the NWA and won. They accepted him in because they couldn't beat him. You know, and he wasn't doing it to be arrogant or or be uh, to be standoffish. It was he got screwed, and he was like, "Well, this ain't gonna happen." He then he said after he wallowed a little bit, his mom said to get up and get at it, or you know, kind of thing, and he did. And he took the Memphis territory. Like he, he was he was running at the in Memphis and then running at the new call at uh, the uh, Coliseum, and the rest is history. I mean, they they sold that place out for how many? Later they sold that they ran that venue on a weekly basis for what how many years was it late 70s till it had to be about 25 years i think they averaged 8,000 fans a week a week i mean that's incredible so if you had a top four promoters uh hall of fame would it be in a top four for you Oh, yeah, probably. I mean, you take a look at guys, like, when it comes to favorites, I mean, you've got, for me, I like the Canadian wild man or the beer man, Dave McKegney. You have also, um, you know, Jack Tun- or Frank Tunney, 
Jack Tunney's uncle. Uh, I mean, those, those those two, if you were in Ontario, they were your, your promoters. But you have to have a guy like Sam Muchnick, who kept the NWA together because he was the guy that, you know, when it comes to the, say, the Mount Rushmore promoters or top four, I mean, Sam Muchnick was the one who made the NWA what it was. When he left, it fell apart. You know, but uh, but you also have to throw Vince McMahon in there. Anybody who says he's not a good promoter and all this other stuff, I beg to differ. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Take a look. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible promoter. And you have sm prom smaller promoters that did really well. Like one of the last bastions of independent promotions was Don Owens out in Portland, Oregon. All the other guys that dried up NWA, I think he was the last real NWA territory. And, you know, guys like that, uh, I don't know if it'd be the top four, but those are guys that stand out when it comes to uh, true promoters. And like I said, in Ontario, Dave, the wild man, Canadian wild man, Dave McKegney, you know, for me, because... He he was the he was what independence is. I mean, independent promoters are like he fought Jack Tunney, uh, Frank Tunney, tooth and nail, and the Athletic Commission here in Ontario. So if the steroid trial had gone the wrong way, and the rumor was true that Jerry was going to take over WWF slash WWE, do you think it would have had the same success that it's had under Vince? He would have kept it afloat. Not that it not that it would have been going down per se, or he couldn't have improved it because when he came in, he already did some improvement with budget cuts, things like that. Like, he ran on the best budget, you know, and when people say, well, I, you know, that's just a rumor. J.J. Dillon and Jim Cornette both confirmed that if Vince went to jail, they were told Jerry Jarrett was going to be running it. Jerry Jarrett was up in Stanford, Connecticut, and he was working in the offices, and he also went and uh, was on their payroll. It's blatant. He was going to run the WWE or WWF so that's what was going to happen I mean there's no doubting that and I think he would have like I said he already looked at things to cut and change some things to change he made suggestions to Vince so it would have uh, you know he, he had the there was a lot of the same team in place but he would have overseen the direction of booking he kept it he would have kept it hot and kept it uh, interesting and intriguing episodic you've been listening to Pro Wrestling Viewpoint with Mike Shea 